Here's what I'll say about the Miriam bird. They are nomadic, opportunistic feeders. They are not isolated to large blocks of timber where they have multiple hens, usually in pretty close proximity and ag fields and things like that, that they can, that they can use. So these birds are in open mountain spaces, pinion pine country, sagebrush country, even as high as 9,000 or 10,000 feet mm -hmm. um, as the snow melt progresses up the mountain. Anytime, even out west here, anytime I find a small creek or waterway and it looks like it has large trees by it, whether those be cottonwoods or in the west, if it's some ponderosas or some tall fox pines or something, I'm gonna pay attention to that. If, if, if it's a western area where there is a ponderosa ridge or a real good spine ridge that looks like it's it's treed heavily and it gives a steep slope where it looks, you know, I mean, I'm talking steep, but those birds can fly out into a grassy type meadow right at fly down. Man, I'm, I'm making sure and I'm pinning that. Just remember when you're using that decoy, wear a black. You need to be completely blacked out. Your pants don't have to be, but your upper half needs to be completely blacked out because you want to look like a bird. And birds have black feathers, basically. Yeah, they shimmer and shine, and there's purple and reds and greens in them. But for the most part, you want to to be that to be that black background. If you can't hold your bow straight out in front of you, hook on your release and pull straight back in one fluid motion. You're drawing too many pounds, and you're definitely drawing too many pounds for turkey. If you have to aim that decoy up towards the sky or point it down towards the ground to get more leverage, not only are you gonna spook that bird and ruin everything you just did, it's, it's just not a good idea. It's just it's letting you know, man, I'm pulling too much bow weight right now and I need to come down in bow weight. And that includes, you know, drawing from your knees, sitting flat on your butt, because you're gonna get caught in a lot of different scenarios when you're hunting these birds and using this decoy. Hey guys, real quick before we get into this episode, I need you to do me a couple of favors. First, go give us a review on iTunes. Can't stress it enough, it's really, really important for me to help keep this free and to help me keep it going. Next, get involved with your hunting rights. Go join Howlful Wildlife. Super simple, takes a couple minutes, you can even do the free membership, I don't care, but be involved. Lastly, I want you to do yourself a favor and up your shooting game and go get you some Phoenix shooting bags. Use promo code John Stallone to save 20%. That's all I got for you. Let's get into this episode. Hi, welcome to Days and Wild Big Game Hunting Podcast brought to you by Phoenix Shooting Bags. Today, uh, we're going to talk turkey, literally. We got uh, Jace Bowerman on, or Bowserman, wait, 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 how do you say it last name? Oh my God, I'm like an Indian. Bowserman. Bowserman, yeah. <laughs> I was going to call you Bowerman for a second there. I was like, I knew I didn't know that, right? <laughs> Yeah, so. It's all right. You can call me whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and it kind of what would normally have people on here that I know or that I've at least met and had some, had some interaction with. You and I have never met. Matter of fact, I think this is the first time we're actually physically talking on the phone. Uh, yeah, it is, man. But what drew me to you is you had, I think you, I saw like a little clip of you using a decoy. What was it? Uh, oh, yeah, the Predator decoy on your bow for... Oh, yeah, the ultimate predator. Ultimately, so I kind of just dove down a hole a little bit and kind of like yeah. across a couple of your articles and whatnot. And I was like, all right, yeah. man, this kind of, you know, he's got a different approach, kind of a little different view of things. And turkey season's coming up hot. So I figured, uh, oh, yeah. let's do it, you know? Absolutely, man. I always love talking about turkeys. That's, uh, 
it's one of my absolute favorite uh, favorite animals to bow hunt for sure. Yeah. So for me, not that I, I shouldn't say that I didn't hunt turkeys. I was just never excited about turkey. And I got excited sure. about turkey, I don't know, a few years ago. And kind of like now I absolutely look forward to it. I, I love it. Oh, I yeah, think, man, I think great. maybe because I learned, maybe learned how to call better. I don't know what it was, but I, I started viewing them more like it was like hunting elk a it little is. bit more, you know? Uh, you know, obviously yeah. <laughs> way smaller, but you know, I a just, little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, now I'm like just trying to uh, starting to absorb more turkey stuff where before I did it, I killed most of my birds in, in years past during the fall. You know, I was never uh -huh. a spring turkey yep. hunter. And the other thing was too, I had this like pact with my wife that because I hunted so much in fall and winter that I spring and summer was, you know, wife and kid time. Um, Absolutely. So I really didn't do much during the spring, but, sure. um, now I'm kind of spreading it out towards throughout the year a little bit more versus having it all piled up in fall and winter. So anyways, nice. so quick question for you. Have you hunted turkey yeah. across the United States? I have, man. I've hunted turkeys in 20 some States. Oh wow, uh, Jeez. I've been to Florida, going back to Florida in March. You know, yeah, I've, I've, I've killed, uh, killed all of the, all of the four, uh, subspecies here. I've not, uh, I've not taken the ghouls. I've not taken an oscillated, um, or anything like that, but I've, I've taken the Rio, I've taken the Miriam, I've taken the Eastern and I've taken the Osceola. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's just for me, man, the springtime is, it's a super special time as the woods start to get warmed up, um, and the birds start to crank up. And when you, it's just like, you can hear you can hear a turkey gobble a million times mm -hmm. and the million and one time you hear him, it's just as exciting. Like it just brings that smile to your face and because it's just, so it's like listening to a bull elk bugle, right? right. I mean, yeah. it's, there's some similarities there. People will get very jaded and be like, wow, there's no similarities between an elk and a turkey. It's no, no, not making comparison between the animal elk and no, the animal just experience. I'm just talking about yeah. styles and experience and they're both vocal. I mean, what, what, what bow hunter or what hunter in general doesn't want to go out and hunt an animal? You can use decoys to draw that animal closer to you and create a great interaction. Right, right. So the reason why I asked you about hunting turkeys across the United yeah. States is I want to know if you noticed a distinct, and I this might take the whole podcast, but <laughs> if could. you noticed, I read it, your question ahead of time, and I was like, man, yeah. I only got a couple hours. I, yeah, I, I sent I sent this over to you. I sent them over some questions just because I wanted to make sure. Because again, I don't, I really don't know much about you other than what I, you know, the articles I read. So I, the differences in the birds, how they react from different habitats to different species and so on and so forth and, and maybe you know get into a little bit i mean we don't have to go into it super detail we might have maybe we'll come up with another podcast if we want to go down this hole but how that plays to, into the way you hunt them i'll try to do is i'll just try to try to touch on each of the subspecies and talk about how they're a little bit different from the other okay um and the the two i want to start with because um this is what I've seen living here in the West, right? We, we have a subspecies of wild turkey, uh, the Miriam. And the Miriam is, is one of the coveted birds in the actual Grand Slam or guys that just want a pure white-tipped fan turkey. So we get a lot of guys coming West to do that. And I've talked to more hunters from the East 
and I'm talking like the Far East over the last few years, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Michigan. I mean, we're talking about, you know, Eastern hunters coming West. And and here's what I'll say about the Miriam bird. They are nomadic opportunistic feeders. Okay. They are not isolated to large blocks of timber mm-hmm. um, where they have multiple hens, usually in pretty close proximity and ag fields and things like that, that they can, that they can use. So these birds are in open mountain spaces, uh, pinion pine country, sagebrush country, even as high as 9,000 or 10,000 feet mm-hmm. um, as the snowmelt progresses up the mountain. I mean, these, these birds live in very harsh, harsh conditions. And so a Marion bird, everybody will say, well, gosh, you, you hit a box call and they just come running. They're the stupidest birds ever. And, and don't come west thinking that. When you come west and you find a Marion bird, what you need to remember is they are usually very callable birds because those toms want to find a hen. And they're used to traveling long distances to find that hen. Whereas an eastern bird might not have to go, but 100 yards to this hen and walk across the little creek and there's a little group of hens on this. It's, it's usually not like that out West. So Miriam birds, mm-hmm. uh, they spread out. They're very opportunistic. They're very nomadic. I've seen them leave a roost and walk five miles, literally March out of sight for no particular reason. So there's your elk type Turkey, right? There. I was going to um, say in, the in Miriam essence, man. is very elk like. Um, yeah. I mean, they're, they'll just go. I, like I said, my, my experience is way limited compared to yours, but I almost, just go. I almost, when I hunt turkey, especially here in Arizona, which we don't have a lot of birds, but I've hunted Miriams in South Dakota and a couple other places where there are quite a bit more and there's some ag and yep. stuff. There's no ag here. Okay. Right. It's literally you're, right. you're going ridge to ridge and instead of letting off a bugle, yeah. you're letting off, you know, yelps or whatever. And that's your you're locating birds to set up on them it's like a it's very elk like very elk like here yeah and then for the eastern for the guys you know for the guys going east or eastern hunters i will say that the eastern bird is probably my favorite bird to hunt just because they boom man i mean nothing has a gobble like an eastern in big timber man i love hunting big timber eastern birds and you know what i've noticed with those birds are and i do believe it's because of the number of hunters that though i mean when you're hunting public land in those in, in some of those states you better realize that that those toms if they make it to maturity they are on point and i, I don't mean they're a little bit on point i mean they are flat out on point and that's where you know guys will say well like man these these eastern birds are just super super tough to kill and they are super super tough to kill um, they're reluctant to come into decoys. A lot of times they're reluctant to come into decoys and they are, you know, they've heard every call in the book. So you've got to be on your A game with your calling. And I don't think a lot of times Eastern hunters take enough time to get those blinds and stuff really brushed in. If you're going to hunt from a ground blind, you're going to hunt an Eastern bird. In my opinion, that blind has to be almost white to like, you've got to cloak it in out West here, shoot, you can throw up. I've thrown up blinds in the middle of a cattle pasture. Mm-hmm. So there are definitely some differences to those subspecies. You know, if, you're, if I'm hunting Rios, of course, I'm looking for big cottonwoods overhanging a creek bottom with ag fields close by. I mean, you find that and you're going to find 
you're going to find, you know, copious amounts of Rio birds usually. And if, and if Rio birds left, left alone, a lot of times, you know, they'll just keep going to that same roost and same roost and same roost where, where guys get in trouble is they want to press in too close on, on any roost. But I've especially noticed it with the Rios because it's like, man, they're roosting in that same overhanging cottonwood, you know, or they'll find these birds as Rio birds, they'll find a couple of cottonwoods out in the middle of nothing. It seems like, I mean, I've hunted the sand hills and stuff of, of uh, or the red hills of uh, Oklahoma mm-hmm. and, and, and you'll just be glassing. And all of a sudden at dusk, like a hundred birds, 60 birds will go up into two cottonwood trees out in the middle of nothing but sage and cottonwood thickets and things like that. So it's, it's, you know, it's knowing that every, every place you go, those birds, you have to adjust your hunting to the habitat. You have to adjust your hunting to the pressure and you have to know something about the subspecies of the bird that you're hunting. Yeah. I think that's probably, I mean, obviously it could be said about anything. I mean, that's, that's, that's the the, the quick way to it, but you know, there's some information. I think a lot of our ineffectiveness as hunters is the fact that we don't try to learn the actual behaviors of the animal that we're pursuing. Um, I think that goes, and I've said it, you know, a million different ways on the podcast, but I think that goes a long way. It almost, almost trumps woodsmanship sometimes, you know, in my opinion. Sometimes. But, yeah, yeah. Sometimes. So, absolutely. Um, absolutely. When you, when, so let's, let's switch gears a little bit. Like when you're, no, you're going, good. when you're going into a new area, mm-hmm. how do you, you know, how do you locate birds? What's your approach on, on finding where you're going to start hunting? Uh, I mean, you could take it from your scouting, uh, but new to an area, yeah. what are you doing? Let's just leave it at that. I'll leave it nice and vague. Well, if I'm going to a new area that I've never been to before, I treat it just like I would a would a western hunt out here for elk. I mean, I'm pulling up my hunt stand maps, and I'm going over. I, I'm looking at the area that that I'm going to be hunting, and then I'm pinning spots where, based on whatever subspecies I'm hunting that that look like they're going to be inviting for a turkey right anytime even out west here anytime i find a small creek or waterway and it looks like it has large trees by it whether those be cottonwoods or in the west if it's some ponderosas or some tall fox pines or something i'm going to pay attention to that if, if if it's a western area where there is a ponderosa ridge or a real good spine ridge that looks like it's it's treed heavily and it gives a steep slope where it looks you know i mean i'm talking steep but those birds can fly out into a into a grassy type meadow right at fly down man i'm i'm making sure and i'm pinning that um so it all starts with map map work but map work only takes you so far you know once you get there to an area i always say if you're hunting an area for the first time for turkeys you know only fools rush in you know you get so excited you pull up to the parking lot it's a new spot of public land or a place you got private permission to and you're like i can't wait to just get out there get out there get out there you got to remember that during the course of the day turkeys have three things to do they eat they breed um and they walk that's that's really it and turkeys will cover turkeys will cover a large amount of, of ground during the day. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times what I'll do is, man, I rely heavily, heavily, heavily on my optics because I, these are things I learned as a Western hunter that have really helped me hunt turkeys all over. Because if you are able to drive perimeter roads and stuff like that of public land and things like that, and you are really scrutinizing 
the area with your optics. And I mean, I'm talking about looking in every timber pocket, down every logging road, on the edge of every shaded ag field. And if, if you're really taking the time to do that, I found so many birds just by driving perimeter roads and things like that. If that doesn't work, I'm going to take a less intrusive approach again. Of course, I'm going to take all my gear and stuff, but I'm going to get in there and I'm going to see if I can, you know, use a locator call, you know, move around a little bit, glass areas that I couldn't see. And then towards evening, I want to be in a place where I can get myself in an elevated position where sound will travel preferably not surrounded by a bunch of trees if I can and just I'll just sit and listen because a lot of times if you're in the turkey woods in the spring and you just shut up and sit down and listen it doesn't matter what time of the day (laughs) you are going to learn some valuable intel just by doing that because turkeys are noisemakers Hen a hen will yelp a hen will will purr uh, a, a Jake will gobble, you know, do a little Jake gobble on Tom will thunder. There's all types of things that can happen. You know, I've been sitting on a ridge and I just heard scratching in the leaves, no Turkey noises, but just scratching, 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 you know, that's, that's turkeys, you know, scratching up the forest floor, looking for bugs and nuts and, and everything like that. So if you just stop and pay attention, there's lots of ways to locate turkeys in a new area and they leave behind a lot of sign, you know, look for tracks. If you can drive a two track road, look for tracks on it. Look for turkey feathers. When you're walking around, if you start finding a bunch of turkey feathers and a bunch of, a bunch of crap, you're probably in an area where they, where they roost. Finding turkeys is really never an issue. If you, if you just combine map work with good on the boots, don't rush in and decide I have to go nuts hunting when I get there. Yeah. No, that's good. That's definitely good advice. I'm going to take that a little bit further. So yeah, let's say you, you've picked your, your spots and you kind of got an idea where some birds are like, take me through a morning. Like, let, let, let's, let's do it that way. Like, okay, you're going to, you're going to go to a certain spot in a certain morning. You chose this spot for this reason. And you're going to start with this type of call or whatever you're going to do. I just kind of take me through something like that. Just Okay. Okay. Well, quick, quick, quick question. I, I want to know before. So like, what um, are we talking about? A Miriam bird? Yeah. Let's see. Let's talk about Miriam's bird. I, I mean, I, I gotta, I mean, I, for the most part, I guess my listenership is going to be Western game hunters, but um, not that I don't have yeah, people on the East and, and sure, all over the sure. country, but it's just uh, the reality of it. <laughs> Plus yeah, so, th- that's what I get to do most. So I'm kind of, uh, <laughs> it's my podcast. Yeah. I want to learn from you. So <laughs> We're talking about a Miriam bird and are we talking about a public land, a public land yeah, Miriam bird? public land Miriam Okay, bird. perfect. Cool. So if on a typical morning on a Miriam bird, no matter what I'm, where I'm hunting, if it's public land and I know where the birds or bird is roosted, mm-hmm. that's always kind of key to, to my approach. If I know where the bird is roosted, I am going to make sure 1000%. If I'm going the, the blind and decoy setup, and I'm going to tote my ground blind in there, and I'm going to tote my decoys in there, mm-hmm. right? A lot of places where I hunt Miriam birds is open, semi open. I hunt a lot of sage to cedar pine country stuff. And these birds will pick you off setting up forever away. So you have got to do everything under the, I mean, I'm talking up as early as you can, blank darkness, 
because if you can get that blinding decoys out where you want it to be, you're going to have a great chance of calling that bird in. If I'm going the bow mounted route, I'm going to get myself in a position where I'm hidden and then I'm not doing a thing and nothing, not calling, not doing anything until that bird pitches down. Um, okay. And we can talk about why that is in, in, in a little bit, but um, on the blind, on the blind approach, I want to trust too many turkey hunters want to get too close to the roost. Trust your decoys and trust your calling. Okay. And also pay attention. If it's a lone Merriam gobbler in a tree, mm-hmm. man, you've got a great chance of calling that bird to you in the morning. Right. If it's a couple of toms with uh, a few hens, you still got a good chance of calling the hens in or call or getting one of those toms to break off. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it all kind of depends on what you, what you have for what you're going to be hunting as far as number of birds, number of hens, number of toms, those sorts of things. But I don't want to press in and try to get right under that roost tree and be deploying my blind and making noise and setting up decoys. I want to set my decoys in a visible spot and I want to get my blind about 12 to 15 yards from those decoys because I want to be very close because when I'm bow hunting, they're such a small target. Mm-hmm. And then once I get in that blind, I am listening to how to the to, to the vocality of those toms on the roost. Okay. Are they just being super, super vocal or are they being, you know, docile and quiet? Um, if they have a hit in the tree, is she getting really worked up or is she not paying much attention? A few years ago, just to give you a quick, I'm talking about the importance of that is I was hunting, I was hunting some birds and there were two toms, two, two Miriam toms in a tree and there was one hen. And these two toms were, I mean, I've never heard two turkeys gobble so much before fly down, just going bonkers. <laughs> and she never made a single peep. She stayed with her head tucked in, like, please, God, shut up. I don't want to talk. You've kept me up all night sit here for a minute and those toms wanted to go and because the hen never got vocal that's one of the few times man i really started getting vocal with those toms on the roost because i wanted to let them know hey is not willing to do anything and i got pretty excited and uh i did 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 some really excited fly down yelps got once once the bird once you know i wanted them to let them know hey i'm on the ground over here I, they gobbled at it. I really started cutting. I got the excitement level volume of my calls up and both of those birds flew down, left that hen and walked right in mm-hmm. on the opposite end of the spectrum. You got toms in a tree with a bunch of hens and, and, and those hens are making noise and things like that. I usually won't make a peep at those birds until they fly down because most of the time those birds are going to fly down if they're with a lot of hens, they're going to mingle with those hens for a while, especially early in the season. And those toms are going to wait and see what those hens do. Hmm. So I'll wait and see if the hens get vocal, if I can start talking to them, or <laughs> if the group starts to move off. And a lot of times a couple of two-year-olds will, 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 will be at the tail end of that group, or they'll kind of drift off, and then I'll start hammering at those birds. So it's, again, it's just all about reading the situation. Hmm. No, that's awesome. That's great information. I've never actually had anybody uh, go into it with that with that detail. That's great. Um, that's good. I want to ask you a question popped yeah. up in my head because you said you didn't want to get too close. What What's your yep. 
what's your rule of thumb threshold for how close you want to be and how close, you know? Or yeah. It- so on a, on a Marion bird, like any bird, really, if, if obviously afraid to hug up on the roost a little bit, mm-hmm. but what I, what I'm meaning is, you know, that these birds are in a, in a cottonwood overhanging a creek or they're in a ponderosa, you know, tucked up into the mountainside and they have a good visual down and the area between you and them is extremely open. I am not getting any closer than 200 yards and I'm doing that in okay. total darkness. Got it. I mean, that, that is, that is, that is the limit for me. Now it's one of those deals where, you know, birds are tucked back through a bunch of trees and I watched him go to roost and I'm like, man, I can come around this little, you know, I can come around this little rim, drop down this ridge and I can be right on the back side of them without them ever knowing that I'm there. I mean, 75, 100, 150 yards is fine. But, but the key is your hunt will be over before it begins. If those birds see, see you or yeah. hear you setting up, if that happens, I mean, you've ruined it. And, and a lot of guys would be like, man, I got right in on them and they flew out the other way than they've been flying. I've been watching for a week and they flew out the other way. Well, they flew out the other way because they know that you're there. Turkeys, the, the life of a turkey revolves around staying alive. And they know their eyesight is incredible. And bobcats are murderous on turkeys and bobcats can climb trees. I've seen them climb trees and it's just, it's like pick your pick which bird you want. I mean, they just swat them and they're done. Mm-hmm. So these birds are constantly looking down. They're not staring up into the stars wondering, oh, I hope nothing gets me from, from above. You know, they're, they're keeping their focus on the ground below and they're really tuned into listening. And when you have, especially if you have a large group of birds, like early season and you've got 20, 30, 40 birds in a roost, you better be on your A game. Because if one hen, if one Jake, if one Tom, it's 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 all done. It's it's over. Yeah, last year I I was in California actually hunting uh, turkey with Charles, and we made the, we made the mistake. It was had we got there probably twenty minutes or 15, 20 minutes earlier, we would have been fine because it was still super dark. We were super quiet. Uh-huh. We weren't setting up. Really setting, we, I think we have one decoy, but we weren't setting up um, blinds or anything. We were just kind of, you know, getting back in the brush. But it started getting light, light enough that they could see pretty well. And I, hundred percent sure that the main group of hens spotted us. But the the, the and and the reason why I could tell you this is because that group of hens, there was two different trees, and the one that was further back. Those hens, when they pitched off, they came towards us. And the other ones, they went the opposite direction. (laughs) So, and I was like, yeah, they must have seen us. And that was, of course, that was the group that had the, had the Tom with it. But so (laughs) we, uh, we are, unfortunately, weren't able to make that happen. (laughs) (laughs) So no, that's, uh, that's good information. So you, you talked about a little bit, and this is, like I said, the reason why I, I uh, came across to you. Let's talk about the bow-mounted uh, decoy a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about yeah. tactics and, and uh, <laughs> how you use that and what's your, you know, what's your game plan with, for using a decoy. So really, man, this, this, this decoy changed how I, how I hunt turkeys. Very rarely will you see me in a ground blind anymore. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, very rarely will you see me in a ground blind anymore. Um, and it's just because of the excitement level hunting this way creates. Now, I do want to make sure that people understand that, yes, there can be a safety issue. So, so everybody, please hear me say that. There can be a safety issue. I will not use this decoy mm-hmm. public land if a shotgun season is going. I will not. I will not use it. I'm with you. Okay. Now I will use it on private land. Shotgun season. If I know that I have exclusive access to that private land or I'm sharing that land with another hunter and we've had a discussion and I don't mean a texting discussion. I mean a phone call discussion. Like, Hey man, what days are you going to be there? Let's work together. You know, you have permission. I have permission. This is the way I'm hunting. You know, I think too many times we're trying to hide that. I have my permission. He has permission. We both have the same spot. I never want to talk to this guy. Why? Yeah. Freaking talk to him. That's stupid. You know, get it out there. Work together. Figure it out so that you can both be successful. On public land during season, I I have no issues using it. Could I get shot with an arrow? I've had people ask me that all the time. Could I get shot with an arrow? Where you're setting, you're setting yourself to get up to get shot with an arrow. Okay, well, that's a personal choice that you're going to have to make if you want to hunt that style. Out west here uh, and into the Midwest, I use it. I've never had one single issue, not one. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do want to put that disclaimer out there, you know, so so that everybody's aware of that. But what this is is it is a bow mounted decoy, so it mounts to the riser of your bow via Velcro on. Decoy itself comes with these Velcro straps that you can use, but Ultimate Predator Gear also sells different attachment systems. I personally like the spider straps, but you can get anything. I mean, and you just go to their website. It's, it's, it's a phenomenal company. It's, it's just a phenomenal company. And Yeah, I, I use them. Work. I use their deer stuff. Dude, their, their decoys yeah. are just killer. And what I love about this type of hunting is you are part of the decoys, or you are the decoy. You are basically saying i'm putting a full strut tom on my bow and i'm walking into the turkey woods and i'm looking to pick a fight with the biggest baddest dude out here it's it's i relate it to but have the understanding of you know i related to walking into a bar and thinking man i am just i'm the man and today i'm feeling my oats and i'm finding the biggest baddest dude in here and i i want to i want to tussle and you, sometimes you'll find that biggest, baddest dude, and he wants to tussle. And sometimes you'll find that biggest, baddest dude, and he's like, mm, not today, man, not that guy. I don't want to. Because those are the reactions you, you're going to get. It's not a magic wand, but it's a tool. And it's a tool that if you use it correctly, it will just change the way you hunt. I've shot birds closer than three yards away. <laughs> I mean, we, we have a standing kind of joke with all of, all of my guys that I turkey hunt is, we want to shoot a bird where the arrow hasn't fully cleared the rest yet. That's how close we want it to be. I've had them kick dust up on me. It's just, it's just a crazy way to hunt. Hunt. Just remember when you're using that decoy, wear a black. You need to be completely blacked out. Your pants don't have to be, but your upper half needs to be completely blacked out because you want to look like the bird. And birds have black feathers, basically. Yeah, they shimmer and shine, and there's purple and reds and greens in them. But for the most part... You want to to be that to be that black background, and the way this decoy works is your sight and your arrow 
are visible through a cutout that is in the center of the decoy. Mm -hmm. So you have full visibility and you have full visibility and you get a, you get a Tom. And the difference with this is you're not sitting and waiting for birds to come to you. You may be doing some light calling and stuff to locate a bird. And then you're going to that bird. And your goal now is to get, I like to get within about 100 to 150 yards, 200 yards is okay. And show that bird or birds that decoy. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to show them the whole thing. What I like to do is I like to get behind a piece of sage or a creek embankment or some sort of vegetation and just flash through the bow, which turns the decoy just to, you know, like a Tom will do. I mean, how many times have you watched a Tom from a distance through binoculars and you're talking to your buddies and you're like, there he is, there he is. See him strutting. Oh, nope. He turned. You can't see him anymore. Mm -hmm. Oh, now he's facing away from us. Look through that bush. That's what you want that appearance to be. And if you have to yelp at that, you know, if you have to yelp at those birds a little bit to see it, but once that Tom sees it and his interest becomes peaked, I have had them just run and sprint in. I've had, you know, I've had them circle and come in slow. I've had whole flocks come to it. It's, it's, it's just really a, a crazy way to hunt. Um, and it just gives you another option. Awesome. Yeah, that's cool. So a question about that. Now, for me, I've used, like I said, I've used a deer decoy a lot. And, uh -huh. you know, a deer is much taller than a, than a turkey. Are you having right. to be on your hands and knees all, all the time when you're showing? Yeah. This okay. Yes. Yeah. I'm always on my, I'm always on my knees. I'm always on my knees. And, and, and I will give you uh, everybody a tip. You need to have some sort of, you know, Hoyt has the ghost sticks. Mm -hmm. um, there's different stabilizers with attachments, but you need to be able to set that decoy down out in front of you. Okay. You know, so that you're not having to hold your riser. Yeah. I was going to say that seems like that just gets, that gets annoying. It's a, um, it's annoying with doing the deer stuff, like just walking with your arm. As a matter of fact, I got a little bit of biceps tendonitis right now, still from November when I was using the decoy quite a bit in, in South Dakota. So you want that um you want to be able to set that riser down and and it, 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 that just gives you the ability if you if you've set up in front of birds or birds are working towards you or you're waiting on a bird or and, and he's hung up a little bit and it just gives you a chance to set the bow down free your hands use your glass um get to calls in your vest if you need to you know it's really hard to do that when you're like gosh i can't drop this you know Right. You can, you can position, you can position that decoy so that you can use your hands. And that's, that's a, that's a super important tip um, when, when using that type of decoy. And the, the other thing that I want to encourage people to do to get this decoy, don't let the first time you use it be when you go to the woods, mm. you want to make you sure that you put it, it on your bow, practice with it, know how it folds down. It's on a spring loaded system. It weighs nothing. It's like a Rubik's know how cube. It folds down. Yeah, <laughs> but it's simple. You know, it's super simple and you can store it in your pack, um, but know how it goes on and off your bow. Know how it feels when you shoot with it on your bow. And in addition to that, don't get impatient when you're using this decoy, man, birds will, it's so crazy how close they will get. And, People ask me, I'll say, well, they get so close. How do I, how do I draw? Right. That was, just, a, that was you have a question that sure. just passed my head right now. <laughs> yeah. You just have to make sure that that, you know, you, you got the, the riser, the bow in your hand at that point. 
It's straight out in front of you and you have to be able to clip onto your bowstring and come straight back in one fluid motion. And that gets us into a subject of bow poundage. You know, too many people want to be Hercules. I mean, you're hunting a turkey here. Right. Okay. So you need to, if you have to, that's why I said it's so important to use this decoy on your bow before you go. If you can't hold your bow straight out in front of you, hook on your release and pull straight back in one fluid motion, you're drawing too many pounds. And you're definitely trying too many pounds for turkey. If you have to aim that decoy up towards the sky or point it down towards the ground to get more leverage, not only are you going to spook that bird and ruin everything you just did, it's it's just not a good idea. It's just let's letting you know, man, I'm pulling too much bow weight right now and I need to come down in bow weight. Mm-hmm. Um, and that includes, you know, drawing from your knees, sitting flat on your butt, because you're going to get caught in a lot of different scenarios when you're hunting, when you're hunting these birds and using this decoy. Yeah. For sure. Want to switch gears a little bit? Um, yeah. Let's talk a little bit more about turkey sounds. Sure. What do you What do you think is the most important turkey sounds a guy should master, a girl should master, uh, and explain them if you could? Man, this will this will open up a whole whole big can of worms with a lot of people. But um, I had the I had the privilege um, about ten years ago. I hunted with uh, Billy Yargis, and Billy is a world champion turkey caller. He is the best turkey hunter I've ever seen. Mm. I think he is part turkey. And Billy taught me the value of the single Yelp. Mm. And it sounds anticlimactic, and it sounds, oh, wow, thanks for that information. But it's so (laughs) true. I watched him dominate the woods just because – he pays attention to his surroundings, but too many of us want to get on a box call and too many of us want to get on the diaphragm or the, and yep, yep, you know, run that big, long series of yelps and cuts, and get super aggressive. I don't always like that, but you know what, what, what hens do do a lot. They'll walk through the woods and they'll make a single yelp, just one single yelp hmm. or a yelp followed by another yelp. And I swear I have killed more turkeys with that in my mind than I ever have by cutting and, and just getting super aggressive with my yelps and going nuts on the fight and purr. You know, you guys get on a slate and it'll stop. I mean, there becomes a point where it's unnatural. Right. So I try to keep it as natural as possible. So use your diaphragms, use your box call, use your slate and master a single Yelp, just one single Yelp, and then work on controlling the volume and pitch of that Yelp. And then add another Yelp to it so you can get a Yelp, Yelp. Once you can do that, you can kill a bird, in my opinion, about anywhere. And honest to God, I know that sounds simple, but that's the point. Simple is the point to that calling tactic because if you're hunting an area of very hard pressured public dirt, Mm going to be that single yelp it's going to be how the fact that you can sound supernatural because every guy in the woods has gone in there and and ran a ran a slate or ran a uh, a box call and cut and hammered at these birds and they get to a point i believe where they hear it and they're like there ain't no way uh-uh and the hens aren't sounding that way right you know so the hens the mating ritual is still happening, but the hens lower their volume because they know, gosh, every time I get loud, something bad happens. <laughs> so, you know, it shrinks their volume. I mean, that may be too much, but that's what I believe. And those are some things that, that, that Billy taught me. No, I think, um, I think you're spot on with that because, I mean, you see that 
with elk too, you see that and not just human pressure, but you know, you throw predators in the mix and <laughs> predators know for sure, you know, predators know when there's that animal making that sound over there, that there's animals are there. So they're going to go hunt them. So, but no, I, I agree with you. Can you do me a favor and put that single Yelp or double Yelp into context, like where, when, how you're going to use that exactly? Sure. So, um, I'm walking through, it doesn't matter what, what species, uh, or excuse me, subspecies of bird I'm hunting. I'm walking through the woods and I've heard a Tom and let's just say I've, I've, I've had a Tom and he's been gobbling and going back and forth with him a little bit, but he's not breaking off. Mm-hmm. It's obvious that he's gobbling, but he's staying put. So what that tells me is he probably has a hen or several hens and, and, and he's not, he's not moving about. So at that point, I know I need to use the train, use the cover to close distance. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to close some distance. And what we always do is we close that distance and it's like, oh, please, God, he has to gobble. I, I really need him to gobble. So we plap, 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 plap. And sometimes he'll gobble, but it's almost more of a shock. Mm-hmm. It's almost like, geez, dude. You already know you close the distance, right? You already know turkeys have exceptional hearing. We always ask, do you think he'll hear me? Hell yes. He's going to hear you. (laughs) So we've moved closer to him. Now we want to be as natural as possible. So all I'm going to do is I'm just going to let out a, get up there and let out a single yelp and listen. If he doesn't respond, I'll increase the volume of that yelp or I'll, I'll yelp and I'll yelp again. Usually, if that Tom is in the mood and wanting to play, he will gobble at that Yelp or that hen will Yelp back. Mm. And she'll Yelp back because it's natural to her. It's just another hen up there on the hill, not going ballistic and not going crazy to come, you know, just that. That's where I like to use use that. Mm. Also, if I've got a Tom that's working and I know he's working, and he keeps getting closer and he's not coming hot. You know, he's not just coming on a string. Cause if a, if a Tom's coming hot, I don't think you can be too aggressive. Truly. I mean, if he's gobbling all over himself and to get there mm-hmm. and obviously with each gobble, he's 20 yards closer. I mean, get ready, stop calling, get ready. You know, it's going to happen. But if he's out there and it's, it's taking him some time to get there, Man, a lot of times I just like that single Yelp. I just like to Yelp at him once and let him know, yep, I'm still here, big boy. You know, peak his interest a little bit. And as long as he's gobbling at it and as long as he's continuing to move towards you, I don't get super aggressive. Um, I'll get aggressive if he starts to work off or if I hear a lot of times when you're getting those single and double Yelps going, you'll get another hen involved Mm -hmm. because, it again, it's natural. So now you've got another hen involved. And now if she gets excited trying to get to that Tom, I have to match that intensity now. Now I have to be the sexier girl. And that's when I'll get yelping and cutting and things like that. Awesome. Nice. Let's talk about gobbles. Do you use gobbles at all? I don't, man. I I really don't. I I never have. I've (laughs) never really used a gobble or a Jake gobble. I just never really really felt the need to mm-hmm. um i've done it a few times to, to get a bird to shock okay um but not in any sequence to get them to come 
to come towards me. And maybe that's something, you know, that I need to look into more. Maybe somebody will tell me, Hey man, you really should look into, into this. I've had good luck with this X, Y, Z, but I've just never had with it personally. So I, I kind of stay away from the gobbles and the Jake gobbles and things like that. Um, and uh, just stick to primarily, uh, him talk. So let me ask you this. That being said, what is your primary call, uh, location call? So if you're like running ridge to ridge and you're trying mm-hmm. to find where birds are at, you, you don't know where birds are at. Yeah. You don't know a roost. You don't know nothing. You're just, yep. It, for me, for me out West, it's a hawk screech. Actually, it's a hawk screech about anywhere. I like its piercing sound. Uh, I like the fact that it rings. I like the fact that it's not an owl hoot or a crow call. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really like using a coyote howl because <laughs> it's it's a primary predator for them. Right. Um, coyote, coyote howls will work. I mean, it's not a bad thing to use at night to get them to go on a roost. You know, you can howl at them and get them to go. And traditionally, I'm not a big locator call guy, mm-hmm. but I have had a lot of success using that hawk screech just because it's loud, it's piercing, and, you know, you can get a shock with it. Gotcha. Yeah, see, like, I feel like for me here uh, in Arizona, again, very limited hunting turkey experience. So, but I feel like the <laughs> having to run and gun type location type deal very much like elk hunting is very necessary here so yep. and i've tried different things i've tried really loud yelps which actually seem to be for me at least locating birds at least hearing a gobble come back and knowing yep. that there's birds there that has worked the best the best for me none of none of the owl hoots or crows or any of that <laughs> stuff yeah have really been effective for me believe it or not a gentleman suggested this to me actually twice. I think actually Paul Modell even said it to me once to use an elk bugle, which I did. And that actually worked a couple of times, but I haven't had a whole lot of experience with that. I've only literally tried it one morning, but I did get birds to gobble with an elk bugle, which was pretty cool. Yeah. yeah so I, it, this is, this is like a, a mystery for me still, you know, like it, I'm trying it, to figure it out. Like I would love to go with a really, um, prolific Arizona turkey caller just so I can, or turkey hunter period to see how they do it. I really would love to see how that works out, you know, but cause yeah, man. my, my, uh, I mean, I've had success, thank God. And I've had an opportunity almost every single time that I've gone turkey hunting. So I'm obviously doing something somewhat, right. You're just, absolutely doing something right. But <laughs> I, um, yeah, I would definitely, it's because my kids enjoy it. My wife enjoys sure. it. I definitely would like to get a much, be much better at it than I am now. Of course, I might just be taking time and doing that. But um, yeah, yeah, I would, I would love to see, you know, what your your approach is on it. Like, what you have you ever hunted out here? I have, to, uh, I have not. I've not hunted Arizona. Hmm. Um, we'd have to get together sometime and, and do that, and then you can see that man. All this stuff he's saying on here is pure crap. None of it works. <laughs> um, uh, and, and, and that no, might I, be the case. I that's why like, I know, like, you know, that's why I wanted to talk to you. Cause I, uh, you know, uh, a loaded question, I kind of figured from your, uh, or not question loaded. My look question earlier was loaded when I asked you if you hunted across the United States. Cause I kind of gathered that from your the different articles I'm, that I read. 
Um, Not at all over. So that's why, you know, having a guy who's seen a bunch of different stuff, because everything works differently in different places. You know, I hear these guys say, oh, you know, elk or elk and deer or deer and turkey or turkey. And I mean, yes, in in a lot of ways, yes, that's not completely off base. But those nuances that make them different is where they live the habitat they occupy and of course subspecies too you know there's always differences in subspecies yep. like you've never hunted ghouls I, i'm not again not a turkey hunter but i'm pretty sure that i can get you on some gold turkey you know oh um, man i'm there sign me up I'm in trouble now. <laughs> yeah well you, i'll take you to mexico on some of my ranches down there we'll, we'll get you going get you to tag in arizona is going to be tough man unless you got a bunch of points but yes yes yeah Anyway. Yes, absolutely. But I, I do agree with you <clears throat> on the make sure that everybody understands when I'm hunting Western Marion birds, mm-hmm. when I, when I, when I yelp, it is loud. It is super freaking loud mm-hmm. because the sound has got to carry. And so like, I think in the, in the, in the East and Midwest, you can be too loud. I don't think out West you can be too loud. Obviously, unless a bird is, is working in and, and getting close or, or those sorts of scenarios. But, you know, and if you listen to live hens out west a lot of times, like I've watched a live hen <clears throat> crank up on 300, 400 yards away, gobbling her and her get, she heard that gobble. She increased her volume. Why? Because she wanted to make sure she was ready. Right. She wanted to make sure. And then his volume increase because in truth his expectation is i'm over here you need to come to me right you know so we always have to keep that in mind so we, yeah i was gonna say we need we should talk about that that was actually one of the <laughs> the, the articles that w- made me uh that i that i actually read through uh and you're not the only person i've heard say that but all the other successful consistently successful turkey hunters have spelled that out and i i think that's a, i think that's something we should we should hit on the fact that it's not it's that's the difference in elk hunting like well not entirely because elk also when they're bugling they're calling cows to them but yeah. they're turkey are less or are more reluctant i should say not less more reluctant to go seek out a hen versus wanting them to come to them it's going against nature. So, you know, you hear a lot of turkey hunters talk about strut zones. Mm-hmm. You know, you say, ah, find that strut zone. You find that old strut zone and you'll kill that tom. Well, strut zone. a strut zone is an area where a tom moves to, to make himself visible. That's all a strut zone is. And usually if you find a strut zone and you take a look around, it's like, oh man, stuff can see him from here. Mm-hmm. Because he knows he's big. He knows he's, you know, he's the kingpin. He knows that he can puff his feathers up and he can make his head change colors and he can do all kinds of fun stuff. Right. And so he's saying, I'm over here. Look at me. I'm visible. Come, you, you need to come over here. You got to come to me. So in essence, we're trying to do the opposite. We're trying to get him to... That's that that adds a challenge, and that especially adds a challenge if it's a tom that already has. And that's where I like the bow mounted decoy a lot. Okay. If it's a tom that already has hens, I really like the bow mounted decoy because now I'm 
another kingpin moving in on his territory saying, hey, I know you got hens and I'm here to take them. What are you going to do about it? Mm-hmm. Make a choice. I also like it if I find a group of toms running together because the way I feel about it is a, a single tom, like take a single two-year-old tom running by himself. He's already had the crap. He's just had the piss kicked out of him multiple times. Mm-hmm. And he's going to see – I've had him look at that decoy and be like, oh, no, I'm out. Because they're 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 a sissy. They've been they've been they've had their butts whipped. But you get two or three two year olds running together, and now that's a gang of bullies. You right. get two or three two year olds coming together, and you show them that full strut, Tom. You better buckle up because they're coming. <laughs> I mean, they love it. Even a group of Jakes. You know, watch what a group of Jakes will do to a lone Tom. They'll go in there and just harass him and kick at him and make him miserable. They'll even push him off the block sometimes. Right. Um, so that's that type of mentality and, and, and being able to adjust to those situations. Awesome. Well, cool, man. Um, if you got a quick story, run us, run us yeah. through a hunt. Let's uh, run us through a hunt and then, uh, then I'll cut you loose here and let you get back to life. Yeah. I'm going to talk about uh, my first ever uh, hunt for um, first ever hunt for uh, uh, Miriam turkeys. Um, uh, because these places still exist out there. I'm a firm believer that these places still exist because of where Miriam birds live. Um, but, uh, I, I, I heard these, I'd heard stories, right. Of, of this, this, this massive Canyon that it's, it's walk-in Canyon only. And the further back you go, the more birds you'll find. And it's crazy, but getting back there's hell. And I'm not walking that far for a Turkey and you got to cross creeks and walk over mountains. And you know, so I heard this and I was like, okay. So before season started, I decided I'm going to go back in there. I'm going to do it. I'm going to go back in there. So I took my optics. I took my stuff. I, uh, and, uh, I got all the way back. I, I got all the way back uh, in there. Now, at this time, um, in this particular location, you could ride a mountain bike. It, it just couldn't be electric, but you could ride a mountain bike. So I, I had this old clunky mountain bike that I had to push most of the time. But I got in there, and, and a lot of people think I'm crazy but uh, or that I'm lying, but I've taken some people back there now. And it is, it is 14 miles. Oh, wow. It literally is 14. And <clears throat> I got back in there there and i'm glassing these sage flats and i'm glassing the cedars and and i'm like oh my gosh how am i you know it's gonna be tough. it's gonna be horrible by the time i get out here what the hell did i just do this is this is nuts and um i, I didn't know what i was looking for i just knew that I, this looks like a good spot where some turkeys could be there's some overhanging cottonwoods over this creek cedars big sage flat all that stuff and uh i'll never forget i was i was kind of half leaning against my mountain bike and it was getting really close to the time birds should start working back toward a roost mm-hmm. and um I'm sitting there and uh not seeing anything pretty disgusted and uh i kind of lean back into that mountain bike and all of a sudden that mountain bike falls mm. and it falls clang clang, clang, clang. each bling and clang it was <laughs> i mean this, that whole just it was nuts so they were shot gobbling at the sound of that bike. And I'm, and my heart's just in my throat. And I, can, I can't even grab my binoculars, right? Because I'm, I'm so excited. I'm like, there's a turkey. They're here. And, and I'm looking. And so I start glassing out in that sage. And there was 14 toms. 14 wow. toms on public land and about nine hens. It was nuts. And, and the ratio was totally skewed. It was totally nuts. 
And I watched these toms and these hens fly up in this tree, and it was one of the coolest things I ever saw. I went back morning, didn't find a soul back there. And at this time, I didn't own a turkey decoy. I didn't own a blind. I just had my bow. Mm-hmm. And I just went in there and just used my woodsmanship. And I shot a Miriam, one of those gobblers at about 10 yards. And he, I was hiding behind a sage bush and he came out the other side and I shot him. And it was just, that's kind of how I got started. And it was one of the first national articles that I ever sold. And so that hunt means a lot to me. That's awesome. Sign me up, man. Sounds like a cool hunt. Yeah. I'm down. It's a cool hunt. It's, 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 it's a good hunt. It's a good hunt. <laughs> oh, cool, man. I appreciate you coming on and uh, sharing your knowledge with us. Um, maybe we'll get you back on again and kind of dive down that that road a little bit deeper here. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, go ahead and uh, give listeners uh, a little rundown where they can find you and check out some of your articles and, and, and whatnot. For uh, Field and Streams website, um, we have uh, lots of lots of bow hunting magazines. Bow Hunter, Peterson's Bow Hunting, um, Backpacker, uh, just lots of different magazines. Um, also, uh, t- kind of taken over a new site called Born Hunting. It's bornhunting.com. Go go check it out. We've got some really good writers contributing to it, um, and I'm just kind of overseeing that site right now um, and adding a lot of content. I'm actually working on an article for it. I was working on it this morning before we got started. So that's bornhunting.com. You can find me on Instagram. It's just uh, at Jace J A C E underscore Bosserman B A U S E R M A N. Um, I try to keep um, fresh content up there as much as I can. I'm, I'm not really a Facebooker. I'm not a TikToker. Um, <laughs> and then uh, if you want to read some cool turkey articles, just you know, Google me. Um, also, I have a turkey book that's out there on Amazon uh, that's done quite well. Uh, you can just go to Amazon, type in Jace Bosserman, and the book will come up. It's uh, uh, Turkey Tips, Tales, Tactics, something like that, Your Guide to Spring Success. Um, yeah, but I, I just I love love turkeys love talking turkeys love hunting turkeys and you know my goal has always been i really want other people to be successful i I, i'm not a selfish person and at all and and i'd like to see other people that want to enjoy turkeys go out there and be successful so um hit me up on any of those platforms if you have any questions i'm happy to answer them and uh and yeah thanks for having me buddy i really enjoyed the time awesome man thanks a lot hey guys thanks for checking out the show really appreciate you keep those reviews and those comments coming helps us keep this free do me a favor go check out phoenix shooting bags use promo code john stallone to save 20 percent, all one word and check out how for wildlife thank you very much and we'll catch you on the next show